Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and wrote Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, for today's show, we're chatting with actor Doug Jones. He's probably best known for his creature and alien roles, such as Alien Sapien and Hellboy, Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four 2, Pan and Pan's Labyrinth, the alien Cochise in the series Falling Skies, or perhaps another one of our favorites, yeah. one of the gentlemen from the classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Hush. Mm. <laughs> Yay! So we're going to stop there before we turn blue, listing all of his accomplishments. But he's also done a lot of fantastic roles where you actually get to see his face. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk more about that soon. Now, in the interview, we talk about working with Del Toro. And he does a great Del Toro impression. He does. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Playing Silver Surfer, his first major acting gig. Which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. His star and row in the indie film My Name is Jerry. Mm -hmm. His love of dolphins. As I call them, the bunnies of the sea. (laughs) And much, much more. Uh, Thanks again to our audience members who sent us questions. We picked our two favorites. Please keep checking our Facebook page for future chances to ask a question to an upcoming guest. Yeah, now before we get started with our interview, we do want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend Tishon Hardy, and you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's start our very fun interview with actor Doug Jones. You're originally from our home state of Indiana. So as filmmakers who work behind or in front of the camera, it's exciting for us to speak to someone who's so successful and who's from our neck of the woods. So how did you get started? And we hear it had something to do with the man from the moon. Hmm. <laughs> well, that, that, there, there's, a, there's a multi-tiered question. It's going to take me an hour to answer. But first of all, I love talking to my Indiana folks, too. I love uh, Hoosiers Unite. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, when, you, when you ask how I got started, it starts back there. When I went to Bishop Chittard High School in Indianapolis, I was... Uh, I was very involved with the, you know, the drama department. Anytime there was a skit for a peps assembly or the variety show, I was always on that stage. And then that trans- transpired into my college career at Ball State University when I was uh, a radio and TV major and a, and a, and a uh, theater minor. And I uh, joined the, uh, there was a mime troupe on campus at Ball State called Mime Over Matter. Right? Get it? Yeah. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, and uh, so I, I joined that mime troupe, and that's what really kind of like gave my body a workout in communication. You know, I learned a lot about communication, that it's not just verbal. In fact, only 50% of it is. The rest is what, what we give off visually mm-hmm. with facial expression, gestures, body language, posture, the whole thing. So um, so the, my mime days were very, very crucial and key in training me to uh, when I got to California in 1985 and got my first TV commercial agent, I was able to you know, list my special skills on my resume, which included 
mime and contortionist. Yes, I know. <laughs> it, it, now the contortionist part, I never, I've never ran away with the circus. Never had an act that I could, you know. I, I'm not like those old Chinese girls who can, like, you know, bend around and eat soup with their foot or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but I can put my legs behind my head, like forward. You know, uh, that's my. One, I'm a one-trick pony. But that one trick will, will, for some odd reason, amazes and wows people. So, uh, so that got me into a lot of TV commercial auditions in my early days. One of my first bookings, my very first commercial booking that I did, got that was my first paid gig and my first, uh, um, and, and and my eligibility into the Screen Actors Guild was a Southwest Airlines commercial as a dancing mummy. And then shortly, <laughs> I know. And then shortly after that, uh, I. I I booked a couple more spots, and then it was the it was the Mac Tonight campaign for McDonald's. Now that's where the moon man comes in. I was a uh, I wore a big crescent moon with a face on it on my head, and uh, and then had a sparkly like nightclub singer suit uh, from the neck down, and it was a cool cat who sang uh, floating on a cloud, playing a, a piano. And uh, and sing about McDonald's and it was I just I remember a, that. <laughs> right, right. You, you want to sing it with me? When the clock strikes, hey, <laughs> babe, time to head for golden lights. It's a good time for the great taste dinner at McDonald's. It's Mac tonight. Come on, make it Mac tonight. Wow, wow, wow! Woo! <laughs> there you go. Now, who, who does that on your show? <laughs> so far, just you. Just me, really, right? Well, so, um, so that campaign was kind of what, what marked me as tall, skinny, goofy guy who moves well and doesn't complain in, uh, in layers of prosthetic rubber makeup bits, right? So that, that's the reputation that started for me with that commercial campaign mostly because it, I'd, I'd end up doing 27 commercials as that character for McDonald's over the next year period. So that took me into the early 90s, and um, by then... You know, my reputation had gone around the creature effects makeup houses here in L.A. as that tall, skinny guy that, that, that with a long, skinny neck. And so, when when people were designing mm, aliens or some kind of like long spidery monster or an insect hybrid or something, they would, oh, hey, who do we know that can play that? I, well, there's this tall, there's that Doug Jones guy. So that's how it started, and, and uh, it snowballed over the years until. Um, until I have the career that I have today, uh, wacky and crazy as it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we remember you from the Hush episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You gave uh -huh. me nightmares, I do have to say. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I loved, loved working on that Hush episode. Buffy's a great show anyway, and it, it was so brilliant and ahead of its time. And um, Joss Whedon is just such a brilliant brilliant man. I've had the privilege of working with a lot of geniuses over my career and Joss Whedon being one of them. And, um, he, of course he was the, what we call a showrunner. He was like the head writer, head producer, head everything of that show. And, uh, but they, they usually would on TV series, they switch out directors because not one director can do every episode because they're back to back and you have to prep and all that. So, um, but for him to have written that episode and also directed that episode, uh, by season four, that was kind of special that he came down out of his office to do all that. Okay. So we knew this episode was special anyway going in, and getting to play the lead gentleman of that Hush episode was just, it was groundbreaking for television because they took a, a, a chance. And the network at the time, I think, I believe it was, um, was it the WB? <laughs> back, 
back before they became the CW or whatever it is, they were a little, little bit leery of a one-hour t- TV show with over half of it being done in complete silence. Um, you know, thinking that like, oh, geez, we're going to lose our audience if we're not stimulating all of their orifices at every moment, right? <laughs> so, um, so, but they learned a little something uh, with that episode that when you take away verbal dialogue and and make it as intriguing and, and such still good storytelling as it was, people, instead of not paying attention, they ended up leaning in and paying closer attention, as you guys can probably attest, being fans, right? Yeah, and you already knew that from your mime training. Well, come on, baby. Come on. I knew it. So, uh, so it, it worked out really well, and it just became one of those one of those moments on television that lives strong to this day. And, you know, I filmed that back in 1999, so it's been 14 years. Uh-huh. And I still, uh, when I do the convention circuit, uh, the Buffy fans still come up to me as though it was on yesterday. And it, and it probably was on yesterday somewhere, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Keep rerunning it, yeah. Even though you've been very successful, you still haven't forgotten your roots because uh, we hear you visit Indiana often and you work quite a bit. You're in- still a Hoosier boy. Yeah, I totally. Well, my last, my last uh, like actual appearance there was for the Wet Your Pants Comedy Film Festival. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian Pierce puts that on uh, with his whole family in mem- memory of his brother, and um, I, I had two things playing there. I think I believe I had a. Um, a short film, Sudden Death, play there, and oh yeah, that was what it was, and something it, I don't know. Oh, and, and uh, my feature film, My Name Is Jerry. That's right. That's what you we know, were going to ask you about. Yeah. I also filmed in Indiana. Thank you very much. Yeah. In Muncie. In Muncie, right? Um, oh gosh, just I have so many good Indiana stories. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but the Wet Your Pants Comedy Film Festival was really good to me. They, uh, yeah, I, I had such a such a great time with that. I, I want to come back as many years as I can on that one now, uh, but. But my name is Jerry. Can we talk about that? Yes, yes, that's what was actually our next question. Oh, good, good, good. Well, I, um, the the writer director uh, uh, Morgan Mead, uh, also from Indiana. Uh, he grew up up in Plymouth, Indiana, and he went to Ball State for a couple years uh, before he transferred out of there and went to film school out here on the West Coast at the New York Film Academy's West Office. He was twenty years behind me in school. I graduated Ball State in nineteen eighty-two. It was it was around two thousand. Four, I guess, that Morgan was finishing up his his uh, film degree at you know, at New York Film Academy out here. Mm-hmm. He got a hold of me, knowing that I was also a, a Hoosier and worked that angle. <laughs> <laughs> he got a hold of my of my manager and uh, and and uh, sent an email with a script saying, "Could Doug be in my thesis film short film project?" And uh, it took a couple tries before my manager actually forwarded it along to me. But when I read this little script. It was like just kooky enough, and I thought, whoever wrote this, I have to meet him. So we had a little coffee date at, at a Starbucks, and that lasted for three hours. I could not get enough of this kid. He was so like hilarious and quirky, and but but yet got the joke. I mean, you know, he 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 had a little bit of crazy behind his eyes, but they were made, but they, but it all made sense. <laughs> so uh, that's my favorite kind of filmmaker, by the way, is someone who is not quite right in the head. You almost have to be. You right, exactly. So and Morgan had all that. So we did our we did that short film project, but I told him at the end of our coffee date that anything he makes from this day forward, I want to be in. So after he finished film school, he went back home to Indiana, and then he logged that comment of mine into his brain, and he wrote a feature film script called "My Name Is Jerry" uh, with his friend with his friend Annie Janik. So they sent me this email saying, "Would you want to be in this?" I read the whole script and was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, wow, yes." <laughs> 
he wrote it knowing me now. Eh? We'd known each other for a year at that point, and, and he, um, he wrote it with me in mind and with my quirks. And, and uh, oh, I, just, I absolutely loved it. A middle-aged, coming-of-middle-age coming of story is what it was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and Jerry, the character Jerry, uh, you know, had, was finding himself in his 40s, wondering what the next half of life held for him and uh, looking at his past mistakes and lamenting them for a minute. And, but then, but you know, that's a midlife crisis that I have been through. And I, so I understood Jerry better than I should have. <laughs> uh, and I really, really connected with the character so, so much. And, and, um, and I, I believe that a midlife crisis is crucial and necessary for, for, uh, for the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a man thing. Uh, it's a, it's a phenomenon that most men go through. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what happens to women in their middle life, but I know that men especially go go through this crisis where they uh, about defining themselves or redefining themselves and looking back and looking forward. It's a it's a it's a thing we do. I think we go through it younger. Yeah, is that it? Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Good. Well, so what was good is that that we had two generations uh, in this story. Um, Jerry in his 40s with all of his friends and his coworkers and his boss. Uh, great cast, by the way. My boss lady was played by Catherine Hicks, who was in uh, the Mom in Seventh Heaven for like twelve years. Mm-hmm. My best friend was played by Don Stark, who was uh, the dad. Uh, Donna's dad at that seventy. <laughs> On that seventy show, yeah. Right, and we also had uh, my um, my, and then there's the younger generation in the story. My daughter, uh, who Jerry had been estranged from for like ten years, hadn't seen her in ten years after a divorce. Uh, she finally reappears and. And that that awkward reconnection wants to happen, and um, and our our movie just was a nice was a nice re- real way of saying that it can happen. It will be awkward. It may not be easy, but but it should happen. Uh, recon- reconnection, and we're living in a day and age where a lot of families are broken up like that. And and I, I I'm glad that we could make a movie that helps inspire those families to get back together. So uh, my daughter was played by Allison Scaliotti from Warehouse 13 on the Sci-Fi. Yeah. Cool. And that was uh, one of her first features, I think. She had she'd been on Jake and Josh, uh, Josh and Drake, or Drake and Josh, but on the Nickelodeon before that. But Jerry, my character, goes through this transformation where, you know, where he's kind of awakened to the world of punk music, and uh, and it kind of gives him like a, a, a just kind of like this this redefinition time where he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to be cool and hip and <laughs> hang out with the kids, and I'm going to, you know, it was a very midlife crisis ish. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it all happened because he went to the wrong party by mistake, and he and he and he met a whole bunch of like twenty-something kids, and one of them, the lead love interest, I guess, or she, I say love interest with a question mark because it, you'll find out as the story progresses that she might represent more than that to him, and uh, and he really finds out what he was after in the first place, which was a reconnection with his own daughter. Uh, so, this this girl Jordan, played by Caitlin Carlson, who did a, it was her she was a newcomer. It was her first feature ever. She came from Chicago. Great, great actress. I, I had so, such a great time working with her. So she is the one that kind of connects me to the, this group of punk rock kids. And one of her friends in the movie was Stephen Yun, the uh, young Asian kid on um, on The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. So yeah, so uh, and that was his first feature as well, also coming from Chicago. So, uh, so yeah, no, it was just a, a, what a great experience that was to film in my home state of Indiana. You know, I went to Ball State, so we filmed in and around Muncie, Indiana. You know, we're using office uh, sets and, and office locations that were on the campus that I went to school at you know, 30 years ago. And uh, <laughs> oh, it was just great. It was just so great. And even and one or a couple of our scenes were out in the country, well, you know, cornfields and and barns and cornfields and, and cows. 
Oh gosh, I just love. I love. Call me crazy. I love that smell. I do. I do. <laughs> it's fresh air. It's good for you. It is. Dang it. So yeah. So that that movie uh, was. Uh, you know, for a, for a small indie film, it had it had a a, a certain modicum of success. We. Uh, Ended up, Netflix picked it up for quite a while. I don't know that it's still on Netflix. It was streaming for for a few years. Um, it's now you can still see it on Hulu. Uh, if you go to Hulu and type my name is Jerry in your search bar, you should be able to come up with it. You have commercial breaks, but you can live through that. Um, and it's also still on DVD if you go to Amazon. Okay, great. Yeah, so all of our listeners, check that one out. Yes, my name, my is, name Jerry. is Jerry. Honestly, my uh, name is Jerry. Yes. When people ask me what's my favorite role I've ever played. Um, I have two answers. My favorite costumed character that I've ever played out of all my creatures. I love them all, mind you. I take them all in as though they're my own kids into my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but Abe Sapien from the Hellboy movies would probably be the closest and nearest to my heart of my costumed characters. Of my human characters, it would be absolutely be Jerry. Jerry's my favorite human I've ever played. <laughs> I love that you can say, it's such a cool job. It's my favorite human I've ever played. <laughs> because I do need to make that distinction, you know. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Now, before we forget, we do have a couple of questions from the audience. From our audience. We, we asked Ooh, them. Sweet. We didn't give them a whole lot of time, but we picked our, <laughs> well, we picked we didn't want too many. <laughs> two favorites that we got. So, uh, okay. first up, from Brandon Bennett, with as many costume characters that you played, and you kind of sort of already answered this, I think, uh, you played, which has been the most comfortable to play when in costume makeup? Ooh, the most comfortable. Now, that's an interesting question because... Because, of course, we can all assume that they're all hell to wear, right? Right. Um, or, um, not always, though. I mean, uh, I think that probably once once this costume and makeup was on, glued on to me, it was the, the easiest or the most comfortable, manipulatable, movable, flexible would be the Silver Surfer. That's what I was going to say. I, I was, um, well, and it was a full rubber uh, muscle suit costume that looked like the Silver Surfer, but I was not... Right. A lot of people think that it was a, uh, a, you know, I was wearing a, le- a leotard with zots on it so they could CG later. Uh, but I was in a full makeup that looked like the surfer, and then they did a, a CG enhancement over that later. You'll notice in the movie when I lost my power and became tarnished and, and dulled down a little bit, mm-hmm. that was just me in the, the latex foam rubber makeup and costume. Oh, wow. Yeah, without the CG effects. They CG'd over my eyes to take the blue away so it would match the surfer, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it only took two hours to get it on, and once it was on, it was just uh, basically a, just a coat of rubber all over me. That, that had no mechanics were built into it, and no, it was just all done in two pieces. So it was very simple and uh, and very like it was like wearing a bow flex. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're wearing a rubber costume like that, it does it wants to spring back to its original position it was made in. Mm-hmm. So it, if it was made in a standing position with my arms down, that's the position it wants to return to. So when I'm sitting with my legs bent and my arms bent, it's it, it, there will be creases that'll you know cut circulation off and like uh. so. But if I'm in my trailer taking a break and lying down, oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> okay, now for our second audience question, which yeah. has two parts, it's Uh-oh. from Mary Abdullah, and her question is: Would love to know what it's like to work with Guillermo del Toro, and would be nice to know where his love from dolphins came from as well. Hello. Oh, okay. Uh, that would be my love for dolphins. And, yes. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't really no. clear. <laughs> <laughs> right. loves dolphins. <laughs> Please talk about someone else's Oh, dolphins. that Guillermo and his dolphins. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll do this in order. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is, he is, I, I mentioned all those geniuses I've gotten to work with before. He is absolutely in that small handful of 
people that I would call brilliant geniuses. <laughs> he, um, Guillermo is, uh, he's a, a true visionary, a true storyteller. He's another one of those guys who gets the joke, even when it's not funny, he gets it, <laughs> you know. Um, he loves the world of monsters and, and, and creepy, crawly things, but he's never exploitative when he makes his films. He is a storyteller, and uh, he always... Even if his films were are have horrific imagery in them and, and huge monsters and, and like dripping fangs, there's a storyline to it and a development of that character that gives you a certain sympathy for it and a, he makes leading men out of his monsters. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's kind of what he did with me. Uh, between well, I met him on Mimic and I was I was one of those Long John Bug guys that was um, infesting the. Uh, New York subway system. Long story, but um, and then uh, then again we like, met again for Hellboy uh, one and two, and then also Pan's Labyrinth. Um, you know, Pan's Labyrinth was was that was the, like the life changing movie for me. That was a great so, movie. Yeah, we we've been on quite a ride together, he and I, and we we have plans to work together again. We have uh, Frankenstein in development right now at Universal Pictures um, with me playing his monster. Uh, I'm attached for it anyway. Now, Depending on when he gets around to making it, I'm, you know, hopefully I'll still be young enough to play <laughs> the character. Um, and uh, uh, when we also have, he's got his his Strain TV series uh, based on the books, The Strain, for the FX channel that he's putting up for this this coming fall. And uh, oh gosh, what else? Uh, uh, he's 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 so busy. And then another the next movie he has in the works is um, Crimson Peak. And we've already talked about me playing something in that. If I'm if I'm done with Falling Skies in time, uh, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm about to go back up to Canada to finish my or to do season four of Falling Skies as, as the Cochise character, my alien guy. So so uh, schedules uh, permitting, Guillermo and I will will be working on a few things together soon. It's one of those relationships that that every actor hopes to have with the director of his stature. Uh, but more than more than that, I, I cherish his. His friendship, uh, and you know, and we don't hang out every day, but when we work together, it's the kind of a relationship that that, that just clicks. We have a, we have a shorthand where we don't have to say much. For instance, I'll give you my, one of my favorite direction stories ever. When we were making Hellboy 2: The Golden Army, I played three characters in that movie. By the way, not only was I Abe Sapien, the blue fish guy, mm-hmm. but I was also the black winged angel of death, <laughs> That's um, cool. which I loved. Loved that character. And I did a third character just because he had no idea who else he, uh, when he proposed to me, I would be playing three characters. He said, yeah, of course you're playing Abe. And I, and I wrote a second character just for you, which was the angel of death. And then he said, and the third one, I, I just don't know who else I'm going to get. <laughs> so, okay, fine. So it was the Chamberlain. The Chamberlain was the, uh, the pale faced box headed, weird looking guy with long spindly fingers with, and a black robe. That was uh, that welcomed the Prince Nuada home to the underworld to meet his father, the King of the Elves, and I was the 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 chamber man who who uh, uh, he had to go through me to get to the to the king's chambers. So I was like, "Welcome home, sire. You must just surrender your weapons before entering the council chambers." And you know, like, so that character. It was, that that character was such an afterthought. It was just one scene, and I like, didn't really care. You know, it's like, eh, I guess I'll do it, whatever. Um, and Guillermo told me when he was trying to inspire me. We, we often have talks before we film something, where he'll just give me his his notes, his his thoughts on whatever character quirks I should have, and all that. All he said about the Chamberlain was, "Dog, 
when you play the Chamberlain, I kind of just want to see sort of a uh, 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 ew. And he did that noise while putting his fingers together in a very proper, prim sort of way. So I said, I said, oh, okay, got it, thanks. And that's the last we ever talked about it. <laughs> I love that. So that's, that's, that's men, because you're like, we're good friends. You know, women are like, oh, we're good friends. We can talk for Men are like, we're good friends. We don't have to talk. <laughs> ever. I know it's true. It's true. It doesn't have funny. I know. Yeah, the, the less said, the more we understand. I don't know. That's no, a good story a, with him. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, I just say he's he's always good for so many quotes. He's uh, he's uh, such a such such a true genius. And and my love for dolphins. Um, yes, I, uh, I, I I once he mentioned one time that yes, I love dolphins. Then it, it, I I have dolphin art given to me by fans <laughs> all the time. So I, actually, it's a collection I love. I have statues, sculptures, necklaces, bracelets, all kinds of things with dolphins on them that people have given me. I don't know. I've loved dolphins ever since I was a kid. And because they're they're like, they're a sea creature that is just so happy. And when you hear how, uh, how they, you know, how if, if a person, if a human being is in distress in the ocean and a dolphin hears about it, they'll actually uh, sort of nudge you to the, to the beach and save yeah. your life. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I heard those stories when I was a kid, thinking like, "Oh, the the dolphins are our friends." <laughs> uh, and one early TV show that I watched was Flipper. Flipper was a, I would never miss Flipper. Uh, uh, just this happy dolphin squeaking and and communicating with people. Of course, he was written well, so he could communicate. Uh, but um, and then when it, it, dolphins always have a smile on their face, it's kind of built into them organically. That the way their mouth is shaped, it looks like they're just always smiling. So mm. I like I like happy creatures. And uh, when I, in 1982, the summer of 82, after I graduated Ball State, my first job out of college was, I was a mime at Kings Island in Cincinnati, Ohio, the uh, theme park there. And uh, the stage that I, uh, I I walked around the park, but I had my green room area that I I would um, take my breaks in, was under one of the stages right next door to the dolphin show. So I would spend as much time as I could watching the dolphin show. And I mean, I got, and I, I saw all the gags every day for an entire summer. So I knew the show backwards and forwards. My very last day at the park when they couldn't fire me, <laughs> <laughs> I, I went up and did a little pre-show. My last segment, my last uh, uh, walk around the park of my entire career there at Kings Island, I went to the dolphin show uh, and I went up on the stage before the show started and did a little, little pre-show thing where I, I, I acted like I was fishing in the water and something, I, you know, whatever mimes do. And then I, uh, I ended up uh, uh, acting like I was fishing with a, with a pole that wasn't there. And also I, I caught something that was tugging back and forth and back and forth and then yank and it dragged me into the water. So I, I took a splash into the water on purpose just so I could swim with the dolphins for just one minute. Uh, so, I was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. I climbed out uh, and drippedly wet and went back to my green room and, and nobody ever said a word about it. So that was great. It was great. It was yeah, great. it is. <laughs> yeah, and they've even found that dolphins have own unique names that they call each other now. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that part? Yeah, I thought you might like that if you hadn't heard it. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh. I wonder yeah. if any of them are called Dougie. That they might be. I hope so. I want to meet Dougie the Dolphin. <laughs> Dougie the Dolphin. I love it. New movie. Yes. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, before we go, we do want to chat about some of your most recent work. As you mentioned, you're working on Falling Skies. Yeah, we do love your character, Cochise. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I, I love doing it. It's, um, you know, coming into the cast in season three was, you know, you never know how welcomed you're going to be. And Noah Wiley, Will Patton, Moon Bloodgood, uh, Drew Roy, Connor Jessup, Maxim Knight, the entire gang. Oh, Colin Cunningham, who plays Pope on the show. Love him. <laughs> I love them all so much. They they were so incredibly gracious and and kind of happy to have an alien on the show that, that was actually not CG that they can actually uh, interact with on, on camera. Oh, I yeah. Spoke, and I was the first alien who spoke English, and I'm, you know, and I'm an ally, I'm here to help, and so it was a, it was kind of a, a boost for everybody, from what they told me, to have this character uh, join the show. So, so it was a, what a lovely experience. And I, I, I'll tell you what, though, series television is way different from making a feature film in that you know, you're doing an hour of production every eight days, and uh, and the amount of dialogue. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of talking heads in TV, mm-hmm. and um, and my character Cochise is really smart, so that means <laughs> that, that means that means I have to spout out a lot of smart guy dialogue constantly, and I'm and a lot of exposition. A lot of, I explain what's happening and what the history of this or that is, and what the relationship between he and Hi is, and oh my gosh, so. <laughs> I spat off paragraphs at a time and in TV it's a writer's medium. So the writers are constantly rewriting right up to the day you're filming. So you'll memorize this huge speech. And then by the next day, it's completely different. You're like, frick it. I can't. They gave my brain such a workout on this show. They really did. But, but, but that's when, when I, that's when you go, you know, 50% of, of language is without speaking. <laughs> so, Visual. We should cut this 50%. Exactly. <laughs> we should cut the dialogue. Exactly. Cochise could mime this one. Just <laughs> <laughs> Cochise uh, the mime. <laughs> that would be awesome. And if you, saw, if you saw the season finale for season three, the mothership of the Volm, my, my people, landed. And uh, on that ship, it was being commanded by my father, uh, Waschakchaab. So... We met when when you, when you the audience meet Waschakchaab. Um, it's uh, it's also me in a different makeup, and so I, we did the Patty Duke thing where um, where I I did a split screen thing where I, I did both characters. I didn't know that was you. I didn't know that. That's oh, cool. That's impressive. That now, was. They, well, thank you. They, they ended up getting another uh, another voice actor to give him a different sound than me, uh, an older man. It actually worked out really really flawlessly. It came together seamlessly. I thought, but. Um, yeah, I was, uh, but that that was the most stress I've ever had on a, on a shoot anywhere because I had to learn reams of dialogue for two characters that were interacting with each other at the same time. So, in full prosthetics. In full prosthetic makeup. So, the, uh, so, yeah, no, I was just in utter hell that week. But <laughs> having watched the show back, it's like, oh, okay. You know, when you, when you see the final product, you're like, I guess it was worth it. It's, it's, like, it's like Guillermo del Toro said to me once. I, I told you he's good for a lot of quotes. Uh, one time uh, on the set of Hellboy 2, uh, in one of our six-day work weeks over that six-month period, 18 hours a day, just, ugh, I'm falling asleep in my set chair between <laughs> shots, and just as I often did, and I heard his footsteps coming up. Shikoo, shikoo, shikoo. He never picks up his feet, so I always know it's him, right? Um, he puts his, his hand on my forearm, and he says, I know we are killing you, my friend. And I said, oh, no, <laughs> well, you know, yes, yes, you are killing me, but, but, but there's love, Guillermo. And he said, well, here's the good news. The good news is there will be pilgrimages to your grave. <laughs> <laughs> and 
So I think that's I, I think he kind of summed it up right there. It's like, you know, uh, no matter what kind of hell you go through for TV or film production, it comes to an end at some point. And uh, so you can all see the light at the end of that tunnel. And, uh, and once you are done with it, you've made a piece of immortal film that will last forever and ever and uh, and entertain, you know, uh, generations to come. So so hopefully it's all worth it in the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is good for quotes. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> now, how much? How long does it take to get into the makeup for Cochise, and then also Cochise's dad? And how much is enhanced by visual effects? Aha! Uh-huh. Good question. Um, this is a mercifully short one. Uh, the costuming is multiple layers and pieces, and snaps and buckles, and uh, but the makeup is is only two pieces. Uh, it's a, a cowl that goes over my head with my face exposed, so it covers my head and neck except for the face. Then a face piece goes on that blends the edges around the sides. Um, yeah, so it's very simple. Um, the 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 foam latex rubber on the face is just thick enough around my lips that that my lips don't my lips don't articulate as much as they should um, when I'm speaking. So uh, so they, they, they all they do with CG enhancement in the end is they make my eyes move around and blink because my eyes are these gold big eyeballs that are wider and higher than my own on my face. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're they're kind of glued into the mask, just looking forward and straight and bug-eyed all day. So they go in with CG and make them move around and give them some life afterwards. And my upper lip, just on occasion, when it needs an enhancement to to articulate a word better than, than my than, than my face would allow it to do, uh, they'll 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 enhance that a, a smidge too. So it's wow. a, it's it's minimal, but it's very effective. It's a nice marriage of the two of practical effects and and visual effects put together. Yeah, it sounds like it. That is, it's impressive. Now, is is that what's <clears throat> the secret to being an actor who is able? You know, you're obviously you act as you know, a human, but you're <laughs> really well known for being these creatures and being under all these prosthetics. Is there a, a secret to to being able to do that well? Mm, no, or is it I, just not being claustrophobic in that stuff? I think that the secret is saying yes when they ask you. You know, really. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I do. It's so special. I, I also need to need to mention uh, all, all talking about the, all the creature effects and the and the makeups of, for for Falling Skies. The people who put that together is uh, uh, Todd Masters' a shop, it, it, Masters Effects. They they do they do the practical effects on me and also the visual effects in post production. So their Masters Effects is really a brilliant brilliant company. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I think I think. The formula that makes an actor uh, uh, more effective in heavy makeups is to come from some some kind of a background where that does involve movement, whether it's whether you're a gymnast or a dancer or a mime or or just someone who gets it that that you need to talk with your hands, you know, yeah. um, that that just comes in handy. Uh, also, thinking like an athlete as well as an actor, because you do have to sometimes endure a costume or a suit that's heavier than it should be or, or heavier than you want it to be just to get through your day, you know, there's been many a time where I've been breathing heavily between takes going, Oh God, get me through this day, you know, Uh, not knowing if I'm going to make it or not. So, you know, there's a, you still have to have the heart and soul of an actor and find your character and what are his wants, his needs and do all that actor schmactor stuff you're supposed to do. But then to add the physical, uh, endurance part on top of that is is, mental stamina. It sounds like that's right. Those, those are the extra measures you have to do when you're in a a heavy makeup. But I also, we're talking about upcoming things, too. Um, I also um, was, a, was a recurring guest on The Neighbors on ABC last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Season, I, I believe they're, they're doing reruns on them right now on Friday nights. So their new time slot for the fall is going to be Friday nights. Uh, 
instead of Wednesdays now. So I think that this coming Friday, I'm going to be in the Neighbors episode from last season that is airing this Friday. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, we, we did a musical episode, too, last year that was just the pinnacle of my career. I <laughs> be on a sitcom with this goofy, goofy humor and then adding music by Alan Menken to it. Uh, where oh. I get to sing and dance and be a complete tomfoolery idiot. Uh, I had the best time of my life. So, so the, hope, hopefully, uh, if Falling Skies can, can, can work a window here, and I'd love to come back and do a couple episodes of The Neighbors again this year, if I can, if I can work it out time-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, I also uh, just did, uh, I can't tell you anything about it, but I can tell you that I did it, and that is I did uh, I, I guest starred as a, did a cameo, a special cameo on Sons of Anarchy with my Hellboy friend, Ron Perlman. Oh, oh so, Cool. The scene together, I, I, I dare not tell you anything about, but uh, but that's coming up this this coming season on Sons of Anarchy, and it's been out there. Uh, so, somebody from the show put the news blurb out there, so it's gone a bit viral on the internet. Everybody from MTV News to uh, TV Line and Yahoo TV News have uh, been repeating this story, which is that I am guest starring on an episode of Teen Wolf. Yeah, and I, I start filming this coming Tuesday. I'll tell you what they what they put out in the press, and that is that I am a a known killer. I'm a, I'm a psycho killer that uh, that is coming to town to wreak some havoc, and that's all I can tell you. Uh, yeah, but, but uh, yeah, so so. Oh, don't, that's all. I, I won't be one of the young, pretty, uh, hot, uh, werewolfy people on the show. I'm going to be one of the old, crazy killer people. <laughs> <laughs> that's more fun. <laughs> yeah. And also, in the meantime, too, I do a lot of web series and short films and all kinds of things. So I mean, I could talk about the products I, that I've done that haven't come out yet. I could talk about them all day, but um, I also have uh, a, a web series that I'm incredibly proud of, a, a web series called Research with, yeah. um, with Barry Bostwick. Barry Bostwick, of course, from Spin City. He was the mayor on the show and also um, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was Brad, the young, uh, young love interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, Research is a, is a wacky, zany uh, web series based uh, um, in a in a research facility that tests like flavors and textures and even some drugs or whatever on, on guinea pig patients. And, uh, I would be one of those, one of those guinea pigs and Barry Bostwick played one of the scientists that runs the lab. So, uh, and he's nuts. He's out of his mind, you know, in, in, in real life too, which is, again, I told you, I love crazy people. And, um, Barry and I got along so, so well. So anyway, if you go to researchseries.com. Uh, that'll have all the all the, the YouTube window players there that you can that you can uh, you know click on and see the entire series. There's eight episodes with with eight, uh, seven mini episodes in between them, so that's a great fun thing to look forward to. Yeah, and your characters introduced, I think, with the line, "If we drink the poison, do we get more money?" <laughs> do we get more money? Exactly. Thank. Oh, oh, look at you've seen it. Thank you. <laughs> I just like that. That just sums him up right there. Oh, oh, oh! Can I drink the poison? Don't get more money. He's like trying to like lick the way he thinks of the poison. He's <laughs> made a career out of this being being a test subject. So I love it. <laughs> it. It seems to have taken a toll. <laughs> I told you, I do love crazy people. <laughs> Those are the best kind. Oh. Okay, and where can people find you on the web? Yes. Okay. Here, Shameless uh, plug time for oh, Doug goody. Jones. In a number of places. Uh, the, uh, the, my official website is thedougjonesexperience.com. That's a long one. That's thedougjonesexperience.com. 
And on there, you will find buttons for Twitter, Facebook, and, and I don't know if there's a LinkedIn tab there or not, but I'm on, I'm on all those portals as well. Uh, Twitter, you can find me at Actor Doug Jones. On Facebook, uh, I can't add friends. I can't be an interactive friend of yours if you're trying because I have too many. Did you know that Facebook, your personal profile, they cut you off at 5,000 friends? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I didn't know that. I, I thought it was like, oh, come one, come all. And then I'm cut off. So it's like, wow. <laughs> so uh, I also have a fan page there. So if you if you do a Doug Jones search, you might find the uh, the like page, which you're welcome to like and, and add anything you want on that wall. I interact on both walls the exact same. Uh, I put the same posts on both my personal and my and my professional page. And if you go to my personal page, you find that one first, then uh, then hit the follow button there. And that'll give you access to comment and like things on that wall as well. So so feel free. And if you're if you if you're having trouble finding the right Doug Jones, there's a lot of us. Uh, <laughs> you can do a search for actor Doug Jones. I'll run together just like my Twitter handle. But um, Jones is such an unusual name. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> not in Wales, it's not. But um yeah, but if you do it, you do a search for actor Doug Jones, you'll find my, my personal page, and you can hit the follow button there. <laughs> well, oh, thank you. I you have a really that. great evening. Thank you for talking to us. Yes, thank well, you very much. You, too, you precious puppies. Don't ever change, okay? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. You take care. Big love. Bye-bye. Hey there, this is Robert Leeshock, best known for playing Liam Kincaid on Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, special thanks to Doug for chatting with us, and we look forward to seeing him again on Falling Skies, his upcoming role in the future Del Toro films. And I had to say Del Toro like that. Del Toro. Yeah, especially <laughs> after hearing him talk like him. And also encourage everyone to check out the web series Research, which is really funny. He's truly hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Now, coming up in future episodes, we have the stars of the feature film Gamers, Hands of Fate. We will also have, in a few weeks, director John Batham joining us to discuss his new book, John Batham on Directing. He directed classic films like Short Circuit, War Games, Saturday Night Fever, and, and many more. Those are really good films. Also a lot of TV shows, too. Yeah. Now, click on over to our website at genretainment.com or our Facebook page to send us a question for either of these guests, and we'll pick our favorites. Yeah, or just random ones. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> doesn't really matter. No. Whatever. Uh, we'll eventually get to everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> so keep trying. Uh, we also have the game designers that brought us Mutants and Masterminds and DC Adventures coming to the show soon, and web series creator Blake Calhoun, who brought us award-winning web series like Continuum, Pink, Exposed, and soon... Morganville, this series. And that's just a few of the many fun guests we have coming up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that series, too. Mm-hmm. And don't forget that you can check out the other great shows on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio channel, like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and more. Until, Until next, next time. time.